0: So this morning, we're going to go ahead and get started on it. It'll probably be about four weeks or so. We're going to start working through the book of James. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've really felt God uh, just pressing on my heart that I needed to go through this book. And the truth is, I actually went through this book uh, probably a couple years ago, actually. I went through this book um, for the congregation, but God just placed it on my heart that I would do it again. So there's somebody in this room. Probably multiple somebodies need to hear what's going to be going on over the next uh, four weeks. So I hope it's a blessing to you. But this morning we're going to be starting with, with James chapter 1. And uh, this book, you guys all know who James is. This book was written by Jesus' brother. And this is an interesting thing because James wasn't always a believer. If you read in, in John 7, 1 through 5, it says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And now the Jews feast of booths was a hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So James initially... Being one of the brothers of Jesus, he didn't even believe in Jesus, who he was. And, and this is kind of understandable, right? Because can you imagine, you're growing up with your brother and sister, and already there's brother and sister rivalry, right? You know, and and, and you, know, you get in fights, you don't like them, sometimes they drive you crazy, and then one day you find out your brother's the son of God. Can you imagine that? I mean, some people, they, they, they have a brother that, or a sister that's more successful than them, and it's already eating them up inside because they feel like they're being favored, or they feel like, he was the son of God. But how do you deal with that? The Messiah is coming. He's, he's, he's your brother. But they didn't believe him at first. They thought he was crazy. And I think we would all do the same thing if, if something like that came down. I can tell you right now, if you told my sister when we were growing up that I would be a pastor, she would tell you you were crazy. There's no way that would happen. And that's not even, even close to on the same level as the Messiah, right? So you've got to imagine this is a, a really hard step for them. But as time goes by, they begin to believe. They begin to see and if we we will find him with the other disciples after Jesus descended And Jesus had recently given instructions to wait to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and we find his brothers are there with his disciples. So we know that somewhere along the line, as as Jesus walked the earth, his brothers began to believe that he was who he said he was. In Acts 1, 13-14, it says, When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So he was there, and, and, and this is not the same as the Apostle James, this is the brother of Jesus, James. But he was there, he was there with him. Finally, somewhere along the line, he began to believe in his brother. But it doesn't stop there, because then we begin to see James emerge as one of the leaders of the early church. And we find out that, that if you, were, do you guys remember when Peter got put into prison? And he gets out, and uh, he goes to the door, and he knocks on the door, and the, the girl opens the door, and she's like, Oh, it's his, his ghost, and he shuts the door on Peter. Can you imagine that? You just got out of jail. You're trying to get back with your friends. You knock on the door, they open it, and they just slam the door in your face. So when anyway, the girl runs in, she tells the other disciples, but when he gets in there, he tells them, he says, you know what, you guys need to go let James know what's happening. And that's in Acts 12:17. It says, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So now he's beginning to emerge. As one of the, he's one of the ones that you're going to tell what's going on. So first he didn't believe, and then now we see he's believing, and he's beginning to emerge as a leader. And then finally we're going to see that Paul actually refers to him at one point as one of the pillars of the church. In Galatians 2.9 it says, When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles into the circumcised. James was not one of the pillars of the church. And he was also one of the decision makers that was held at that conference that was held regarding circumcision. You guys remember um, uh, uh, Paul was was having an issue with the rest of the the apostles and disciples saying that you had to be circumcised to become a Christian. And actually it was James who, who rendered the final decision. It says in Acts 15, 19, it says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And I tell you what, this was a time for rejoicing because when you get circumcised as a baby, you don't remember it. But from what I understand, being circumcised as an adult is not a fun thing. But, yeah, he's one of the ones, he's a pillar of the church. He's, he's, a, he's one of the leaders. He, he went from not believing to being one of the, the, the top people who are, who are making decisions for the future of the church. And the reason that I give all this background is because it's good to see that James had great wisdom. It's good to see that God was behind him. He was a leader of the church, and as such, when he speaks, I believe that we should listen. This is not something that we should brush aside. There's actually some leaders because of some of the stuff that is said in the book of James, and we're going to talk about that and 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 work through that. But some, they said that the book of James should be removed from the Bible because it seems to be at odds and conflict with some of the other stuff that's taught. But we're going to look at it actually as not in conflict. It was a misunderstanding, I believe, a misinterpretation. It's not in conflict. It fits perfectly with the rest of the scriptures. But this book is him speaking, one of the leaders of the church, Jesus' brother. And I, th- I think we should listen. We should take it to heart. And the truth is, is, is actually this book is, is often referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And it contains great practical wisdom as to how we should live our lives. Amen? You guys ready to get started? All right. James 1.1. 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion Greetings, you guys. Man, he's going to go verse by verse. This is going to take forever. I saw you doing that, but I want to tell you, even if I did, which there's fun we'll put together, it's not that bad. I heard a story once of a pastor that started going through the Book of Romans. It took him four weeks to get through the first verse. I don't know how he did that, but uh, I'm not doing that. We'll just do a verse at a time. How's that? See, it's all about it's all about relative. It's just relative to what we're doing, right? So James one one, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in dispersion greetings. The term the dispersion was used to identify the Jews living outside the land of Palestine. And these are basically the the Jews that had become Christians and they fled um, Judea and Jerusalem because of the persecution that was happening. So this is in Acts eight one four. You can look this up. It says, and Saul approved of his execution and this this is actually uh, Saul approving of the execution of uh, uh, what's his name? I'm blanking. Do you know his name? Uh... Who got stoned and it's all approved of it? Stephen, sorry. Praise God. This is why I have a congregation, so I can ask them such questions. And Saul approved of his execution. That was Stephen's. And there arose on the day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen. If I had just read farther, I would have got his name. <laughs> and devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's what it's referring to, the dispersion, those that were pressed out of, of Jerusalem because of the persecution. And actually, this very persecution is what drove the spread of the church. It's what caused the initial growth of the church because when Jesus first ascended, nobody did anything. Jesus said, go out into all the world, be my disciples. And he says, you know, go out into all the world. And they stayed in Jerusalem. Nobody left. So then persecution came, and they were forced to leave. And actually, God used that very persecution, the very thing, and that's actually a theme you'll see all the time. God used the very thing that the enemy meant for harm to come about for good in those people's lives. So they were persecuted, they were driven out, they are the dispersion, and they began to spread the gospel. And then we know who James was. You know, I just went through the whole background on who he was, right? The dude's got credentials. I mean, he's, I mean, if it was nowadays, he would have, you know, all the plaques on the wall with the fancy seals and important signatures. I mean, just have a wall full of them. But when he introduces himself, he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He only refers to himself as a servant. And the reality is, is that that's what it comes down to. Because all great leaders are under authority of somebody. That's actually where they get their authority from is those who they're under authority to. Just like when a police officer shows up to your door, he's coming in the full authority of the state or the city that he's from. He gets his authority from somewhere, and and James got his servant from his brother and from God. He got his authority. And his titles and achievements weren't important. That didn't make a difference, but it was that he was under submission to God and a leader in the church, and as such, people were in submission and under authority to him, and they listened to what he had to say. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Who thinks James is crazy? He says, Count it all joy. My, I just told you, listen to him. But, and he says crazy stuff. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. James says, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. And that's me. I'm thinking, like, he's never had a trial then. That's the only way you can say something like that is if you've never had a trial. Because I've been through a few trials. Matter of fact, just yesterday we went through all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, you can always tell when God's about to do something because the enemy comes all crazy against you. We've got a schedule. We're trying to get the concert put together. I call on Thursday, right, and I reserve the lights that we need. So then I show up to, to Guitar Center on Saturday to pick them up, and guess what happens? They have no idea what I'm talking about. And not only that, the stuff that I needed, they had just rented out that morning. So instead of being 15 minutes to go there, sign some paperwork and pick up the equipment, instead I'm there for an hour and a half, almost two hours. And we've still got everything else to get done. But that's all right. Michelle's going to be helping me out. Well, we're going to get through it. So then I get a phone call. She says, hey, somebody just ran into me in my car. Somebody just hit me. So now she's stuck with that, dealing with that, calling the insurance company. And, and you, know, you want to know what it was? Joy is not the first word that came to my mind. I mean... I wasn't excited. But James says, Count at all joy when stuff comes against you. You see, trials are a funny thing though, because some are just part of being human. We live in this world, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes we get sick. Sometimes there's natural disasters. You know, all those different things, accidents, disappointments, all to the different various degrees. That's just part of, of, of living in this world, amen. And then there's some stuff that you're going to deal with just because you're a Christian. There's stuff in in your life that you're going to encounter that if you weren't a Christian, you probably wouldn't have to deal with it. And that's persecution, spiritual warfare, stuff like that. The enemy is always going to push back when Christ is pushing forward. When when you're about to have a breakthrough in your life, the enemy is going to do everything he can in his power to stop you from doing what you're doing. I believe that's what happened yesterday. We were getting ready to do something great for God, and the devil didn't want any of that. So stuff begins to fall apart. You know, and you say, well, that could just be coincidence, but it was some pretty incredible timing for being coincidence, and we're getting ready to put something on like that. The enemy's going to push back against us. But the truth is, is, is we actually need this stuff in our lives, because it's what makes us stronger. It's what makes us persevere. Last night went off without a hitch, and it's not because of me. I'm not anything special. I'm not very good at most of this stuff. But God works through me. I trust in him, and we were able to pull it off. Everything. People were blessed. People were touched. God was glorified. And the devil just sulked in the corner because he didn't have a chance to do anything else. But when this stuff comes, it's kind of all joy to me, trials of various kinds, because knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You see, what happens is that When stuff comes in our life, and I want to make it clear, God doesn't send this stuff to your life to make you stronger, but God will use what happens in your life to make you stronger, to make you trust in him, to to put your faith in him. And it's harder when you first get started out, when you first start believing. It's sometimes it's a little bit tough that starts coming and you're just like, man, I don't want to deal with this. I just, want to, I just want to walk away. But as you walk with God for a while, you begin to realize that he's always faithful and putting your trust in him gets easier and easier and the devil is less effective at trying to pull you down. But the truth is, is we, we need that testing or, or we, we'll never get stronger. One of my favorite stories is, and I've, I've told it here before, but you guys know about um, the Biosphere too up there, right? What you may not know is when they first built the Biosphere, there was an amazing feat of science. It was completely self-sustained. There was no outside influence. They weren't bringing stuff in. You know, the trees were producing oxygen. The whole cycle was going. And, and there was actually producing weather inside this. I mean, everything was working exactly how it was, except for one thing they didn't reproduce. And that was wind. They couldn't make wind in this little tiny bubble. And what happened is they begin to see that in some of these enclosures where they had the bigger trees, the trees would grow and they would get bigger. And, and man, it looked like it was going perfect. But then one day they came in and they began to see that the branches of the trees began to, to shatter and crack and break under their own weight and they began to fall over. And, and what, they, what they determined, what was happening was is those trees had never experienced wind pushing on them. So they never got stronger. They never got, they never got harder and they eventually crumbled under their own weight. Another example of that same situation is, has anybody ever worked out? I know it doesn't look like I have, but I promise I have worked out before. I know how this stuff works. But when you lift weights, the whole idea of getting stronger is controlled tears in your muscle. It's, it's the, you're actually tearing your muscle fibers, and when they grow back, they grow back stronger. And that's how you get stronger. That's how you get bigger muscles. As you can see, I've torn my muscles a lot. But that's, that's how it works. They have, to have, they have to go under stress. They have to go under pressure. That's why when astronauts go into outer space, they come back and their muscles begin to atrophy. They, be, they begin to, because there's no, there's no weight. There's no resistance. And, and, and they begin to, to go the other way. And actually the same is true for our, for our faith. When it's tested, it becomes stronger. When trials come against us, it gets stronger. So when the next time it comes, our faith is even stronger. And, and we begin to do But if, if we're never tested, if, we, if it's only in our head, if we only say it, but we don't ever have to act it out, it's just like the astronauts, it begins to atrophy. So God will use these very things in our lives to make us stronger. And like I said, he doesn't send them, but he does use them to make you stronger. You know what? There's actually three kinds of trials that we're face. I told you two earlier, right? The first one is just part of being a human. The other one is spiritual warfare. You know what the other one is? Stuff we do to ourselves. You know, not, you know the devil doesn't have to work in most of our lives. We do a good enough job of messing our own lives up. He doesn't even have to bother. He just lets us do what you're going to do. And what happens is, is we, because there are, we, we build an expectation that's apart from God. And we begin to put ourselves in positions thinking that I can do this. I don't need God. I'm good enough for this. Or it's a situation we might find ourselves in when we think that God's not moving. You know, there's a few stories you might know of where that happened. You guys you know, remember Abraham? He's like, God promised me a kid. I'm going to be the father of many nations. But uh, uh, it's taken a while, so maybe I'll give God a hand. And as you guys know the story, he takes his, his wife's uh, uh, maid servant, and he goes into her, and, and, and we have uh, Ishmael. And, and because of that, because Abraham thought he would give God a hand, uh, well, there's all kinds of mess throughout the Old Testament that happened because of that, because Abraham made a mess. Now, God is still faithful, and he still, had the son, he still had Isaac, the son of the promise, and we still have that all happening. But there's, sometimes we, we want to step in instead of letting God move, and we want to do it our way. I know that's happened in my life plenty of times where I figured that uh, I didn't need God. I could pull it off on my own. And I remember that I think God was so patient with me and he was so, he just, he, he just stayed with me. I look at my life looking back and I see where God was with me every step of the way, even when I was acting a fool, even when I was doing stupid stuff, even when I was, I was doing crazy, he was still there with me, but I kept saying, no God, I got this. I can do it without you. And I think when, I, I know the point that it happened. We lived in Cera and God said, you know what? You got it. I'm just going to step back and let you do it. And my world crumbled. My, my wife almost almost left me, which I found out later. I didn't even know. I was oblivious. I thought everything was great. She almost left me. We ended up filing bankruptcy. You know, I didn't have any relationship with my kids because of the way I was working. I remember one time I got, I got hurt at work. I used to work for Frito-Lay. I'd work like 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And I'm like, well, I'm doing the right thing. I'm taking care of my family. I'm bringing in a lot of money, so I'm doing the right thing. And that's when I learned that it's more than money that, that, that makes a man taking care of his family. But I'm... I come home and I couldn't work because I messed up my, shoulder, my, my elbow. I, I woke up one morning and I literally couldn't move it. I had strained the muscles in it so hard. And I had to take two weeks off of work. And my son, was he was real little. He was maybe one, I don't even think he was quite two years old. And uh, when I would come home from work, he never wanted to come to me. And I thought that was normal. I'm the dad, you know, kids want their moms, right? But in that just that small two-week period of being around my son... He would all of a sudden want to be with me. He would want to come to me. I thought everything was great. I was doing it without God, and then I just had this, my world crumble around me. I didn't have any relationship with my kids. And I did it to myself because I thought I could take care of it. But in the end, I finally surrendered, and I gave my life to God, and, and part of that journey is me being here today. Because I sure as heck wasn't pastor material back then. But thank God, he doesn't look at, at who we are in and of ourselves. If God's got a plan and purpose for you in your life, it has nothing to do with you, your skills, your abilities, but it has everything to do with, with what his purpose is for your life. There's a reason why God chooses the foolish of this world to make the wise seem foolish, because nobody can say it was them. I mean, I can now say it's not me that got me here today. It's not me that's made me It was God all the whole time. I was just prideful and naive. It was him the whole time. And he'll do the very same thing for you. And that's not what the message is about today, but we'll just get back on track here. And he says, No, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Being steadfast means to stand your ground. Sometimes the devil's going to keep pushing. The storms of life are going to keep pushing. And you just have to stand your ground. The The New American Standard Bible translates this, this word steadfastness is, is endurance. And you guys, you guys have seen endurance runners, right? They can just keep running forever. Matter of fact, I think they might be possessed. Because you ever seen a marathon runner run 26 miles and they're running five-minute miles the entire time? I can't run one five-minute mile. I can't run a five-minute quarter mile. Let alone... That, and these guys are... That's endurance. They don't get tired. They've, they've 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 pressed against themselves. They have went and 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 endured so much that their body can withstand that kind of pressure, that kind of 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 pains on just trauma. Yeah, it would be trauma. I don't know. People are crazy. But but they they've trained themselves. That's the endurance that they have to go on. And that's what happens with us when we when we encounter trials. We get better at it. Our trust. It becomes easier to trust God. You know, I remember the first time that I had to decide: was I going to pay rent or was I going to tithe? That was tough. That was a tough decision to make. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to serve God. I'm going to honor God with every area of my life. And we tithe instead of instead of paying rent. And it was amazing how God moved. And I don't remember the exact details. I just know that we didn't miss rent. And God has been faithful. And that was that first step. It was super hard. And now when, when it comes to, to tithing, I don't even think about it. That, that just comes out. That, that Anybody doesn't even try to come at me in that way anymore because my, my faith in that area has been strong. And then in other areas, my faith has continued to increase. One of my weakest areas of faith, I believe, is healing. But God has continued to work in my life and show me things and, and cause me to put my trust in Him. And it's getting stronger every time I make a decision to trust God in those areas. It gets stronger. And I'm able to endure even longer. You see, the truth is, is that when, when things get rough, we have to make a choice. We can get frustrated frustrated. We can get upset with God. We can get bothered. We can throw a, a fit like a kid. Or we can just trust Him no matter what. Even when it's not going our way. But if we put our trust in Him, we'll begin to grow into the man or woman that God has called us to be. And I find it that interesting that any trial that we face is actually a testing of our faith. It's not a testing of your physical ability. It's not a testing of your resolve. It's not a testing of your stubbornness. It's not a testing of any... It's a testing of your faith. Anything that we come across, do we believe God's going to get us through it or do we not? And that's what is is being tested is our faith. And that's why he says to consider a joy. He says consider a joy because when when you experience these things, you are getting stronger in the Lord. You are, I mean... You're going to have some, some faith biceps that would make Arnold jealous if you just keep it up. You just, just keep going. Put your, you're, it's going to get stronger. It's going to get easier every step of the way. Amen? And in James 1.5 five says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Who here lacks wisdom? Who here lacks wisdom? Lacks wisdom. Who lacks wisdom? I, I, I think we can all raise our hand to that one. And if you don't think you lack wisdom, let me read you this. First Corinthians 3.18.20 Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. The truth is, when we're trying to do things in our own strength and our own wisdom, we're going to mess things up. That's, right. that's what happened. I mean, it, it's, you see it all the time. But the truth is is that when you receive wisdom from God, that's the path that we should be on. And I thank God for this incredible promise that He's given us, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. So all right, we, lack, we, we understand we lack wisdom, and he's godly wisdom, and we want to ask God. And he tells us to do it, so that's good. When God tells you to do something, that's, that's pretty good. You know you can do it. You know he's gonna, God wouldn't tell us to do it if he wasn't going to answer it. And then it says he gives generously. That's good, because I need lots of wisdom. I'm not the brightest guy sometimes. And then he says he gives it without reproach, which is even better, because when you ask God for wisdom, he doesn't go, not again. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. God doesn't come at us like that. He says he gives generously and without reproach. He doesn't look down on us. As a matter of fact, when you ask him for wisdom, I think he he believes that you're being a little wiser than you were a few minutes ago. And he doesn't look down on us. He doesn't think we're less. But instead, it says he gives generously. And he gives it without reproach. And if you ask, it will be given to him. I thank God for that. That's an amazing promise. In James 1, 6 through 8, it says, but here's the catch, right? There's always a but. It says, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, he's unstable in all his ways. So we know that God gives generously when we ask. But there's some key things that we have to be aware of when we ask God for wisdom, or really for anything in that matter, is that we need to go to him in faith. We do it in faith. And what does that mean? It means we trust God. We believe that he's going to give us that which we ask for. He's not looking for lip service. He's looking for people that actually trust him, that'll be crazy enough to actually trust him. And Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. If you guys have ever heard me pray, you'll, you'll actually rarely hear me ask for anything. I just thank God that I have it. I just thank God that I have it because I, he says, he says if, I, if I ask and I believe then I'm going to receive it. And thank God with God. He doesn't change his mind. He didn't say, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. It's for today too. He's, he's the same person today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And, and when we ask him for something, he's, we receive it. What if I ask for something ungodly? Because here's the catch, right? What if I ask for something ungodly? I believe that's when you fall into this double-minded man, the unstable man. That's what he's referring to there. Because when we have our eyes focused on Jesus, when our eyes are are looking at him, we are at sync with his will for our lives. We are walking in step with Jesus. I forget the scripture where it talks about it. I think it might be Galatians or Colossians. It talks about us being in step with Jesus. And when I was in the army, when we when we marched, when we marched in step, what that means is that every single person in the entire platoon or brigade brigade, depending on how many people were marching, we were walking one with another. Every step was exactly the same. We were in perfect sync and perfect time. And that's what we're called to do with Jesus. If we're walking in step with him, then our thoughts are his thoughts. And we're not going to be asking for stuff that's ungodly. And this is what faith is, is calling things that aren't as though they are. This is what God did, right? He called things that, that weren't as though they are. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that did not exist, that do not exist. That's, how, that's the, 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 the model that, that God has given us. This is also what Jesus taught in Mark 11, 22-23. It says, And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. That's an incredible amount of power that has been given to us. We'll just trust in God. And it doesn't say, Ask that God would move the mountain. It doesn't say, beg God to move. It says, speak to the mountain. Tell it to move. And sometimes we need to do that in our own lives. And when we speak in that authority that God has given us, we trust him that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Then when we say these things, we can believe that it's going to be done. That's why when we pray for people that are sick, we don't beg God to heal their sickness, but we say, in the name of Jesus, be gone from this body. We declare wholeness on your body, because that's what God has already declared. We, We speak to the issues. Sometimes we have to stop telling our God about our problems, but instead start telling our problems about our God. Amen. And not only is this what God practiced, it's what Jesus taught, but it's what the disciples practiced as well. In 2 Corinthians 4:13, it says, "Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke." Second Corinthians 4:13. It says, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we spoke. You know, when you believe in something, you begin to proclaim it. You begin to say it out loud. That's actually one of the evidences that you believe in something. I mean, if you like the 49ers, you're going to tell people about it. If you have faith in what they're doing, you're going to talk to people about it. And if you don't ever tell anybody about the 49ers, then going, nobody's going to believe you that you actually believe in them. Now, cowboys is understandable. If I like cowboys, I wouldn't tell anybody about it either. But, but the truth is, if you believe in something, you have faith. When you have faith in something, you tell people about it. God doesn't just want lip service either. He wants people that really have a heart for him. If it's just lip service, what's the point? I mean, if you're just trying to impress people, what good does it do it for you? And the truth is, is is God's not satisfied with lip service. In Hebrews 11.6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when we have faith, I believe that God is overjoyed when we trust Him. And as a result, He works in our lives in ways that we can never even imagine. But when we doubt... We're driven like a wave driven and tossed by the wind. Have you ever been to the beach and watched the, the waves being blown by the wind? They have no power to stop themselves or no control. They're just, whatever the way the wind blows, that's what they do. And that's, we want to make sure that we're not those kind of people. We want to make sure that we're not tossed, but we are steadfast and we are firm. Like an island that is unmovable even by the wind. It stays put even though the waves are tossed around it. The island is solid. It doesn't move. And that's the the lives that we need to live. That's the kind of faith that we have that's unwavering no matter what's going on. We put our trust in God and that's all there is to it. But he says, if you are tossed to and fro like a wave, if you're always reacting to your outside circumstance, you're like, God, I believe you, that, that, that you're going to heal this in my body. And then we go to the doctor, and the doctor says something else, and, and all of a sudden our faith is shattered, and we begin looking somewhere, we begin freaking out. That's a wave that's, that's, that's being blown around by no matter what the circumstances. When the reality is you can say, well, the doctor says this, and it's a fact right now I'm dealing with this issue, but the truth is the Word of God says that by His stripes I am healed. Amen. And that's what I'm going to believe. And you'd be amazed when you begin to put your faith in those things, how your life begins to align with the Word of God and not vice versa. Amen? He says, when we live being tossed to and fro, don't expect to receive anything. And then he says, being double-minded also makes you unstable in all your ways. And that's a tough one. You guys have probably all seen that. You have somebody, a, a, a so-called Christian, out there raising hell on Saturday, but then they're in church on Sunday. And then they, they have a, a good Sunday and they feel good. They've hit their checkbox. And the next thing you know, they're back to living the same old life. There was no change. There was no faith. There's nothing driving them. There's no stability there. That's not a house built on rock, but that's a, a house built on shifting sand. The truth is, is that I want to trust God in my life. And I want to be stable. And I want to know that whatever I ask, God from I will receive. And my trust and my faith is going to be in him. And I think we'll actually end there today. Because if I did my whole message, we'd be here till about 2 o'clock at this rate, apparently. So we'll go ahead and... Uh, Go ahead and end it there today. And, and, uh, you know, let's, but let's resolve, as we're looking at this, let's resolve to be men and women of God who put their, their trust in Him and their faith would be unwavering. And let's believe, let's just be crazy enough to believe that God is who He says He is. He's going to do what He says He's going to do. And let's honor Him with our life and recognize that even when stuff comes against us and pushes us around, that we have a choice. We can either be blown like the waves and, and move with it. Don't offer up any resistance so we can stand strong and every time it happens, we get stronger in him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet.